Good morning. Merry Christmas. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I really like Christmas. I really enjoy Christmas. <clears throat> we have been working our way through the Bible this year. Uh, so we are still journeying through the Bible. Um, we're in First and Second Timothy today. If you want to flip to First Timothy, you can. Um, but it's amazing how even when you don't plan things to work out the way they do, it's amazing how you can still see what you hadn't seen before. Um, and hopefully we're going to look at that today. <clears throat> All right, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you so much. Father, you are the reason we celebrate in this, the end of this year, the Christmas. Father, it's really about you. It's not about anything else. It's not about Santa. It's not about gifts. It's not about commercialism. It's about you. It's about the fact that you came to this earth in human form. You lived a perfect life as a man. You, sin you did not sin at all. And so you were able to die as in our place as a perfect sacrifice. And not only did you die for us, you rose again from the grave, and you live today. And, Father, we can never, ever, ever, ever thank you enough for sending your Son to this earth. And, Father, we will celebrate his coming to this earth every year until you return. And, Father, we look forward to your return. We look forward to you making things right and putting an end to all sin and pain in this world. But, Father, as we study your word today, Father, I ask you to open our eyes and open our hearts and soften, soften our hearts um, to be able to receive your word and to apply it to our lives and to live it. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Paul wrote a couple letters. One to, he wrote a couple to Timothy, one to Titus. And Timothy was what we would today call a pastor. Um, and Paul was the, the one who, who, who kind of discipled him in the ministry and taught him and, and wrote to him. Um, and he wrote letters to T Timothy and Titus, giving them advice on how to shepherd the local church. So these letters are especially important to me as a pastor who shepherds a local church, um, but I think that they're not just for pastors. I think they are just as relevant to every single follower of Christ, um, and that's, this is where we are today. <clears throat> Starting in 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 5, Paul starts off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. And so here's the first uh, reminder of Paul saying that he told Timothy to stay in Ephesus and to instruct people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and in endless genealogies these promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. And so what is the, tr if we were to say 
he said, he told Timothy not to teach false doctrines or to be led astray by these other myths, but instead to teach true doctrine, which is, which is God's plan of salvation, which operates by faith. So there right there we see that if you stray from teaching that God's plan of salvation for his people is by faith, then you have strayed from true doctrine. And these are the things that Paul was instructing Timothy to, to teach against and instruct against because this was very common in Paul's day. Paul spent a lot of his time teaching against this idea of that you can be saved by works and, and not by faith. And so Paul spent a lot of time teaching that you're saved by faith and not by works. <clears throat> but he goes on to say this, which is really important. In verse 5 he says, Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And he said, there's the goal. The goal of our instruction, the goal of our teaching, what do we want to accomplish in teaching true doctrine and, and, and instructing the people and teaching them week in and week out, week in and week out, as a pastor of a local congregation, when I teach on a regular basis, what is the goal of my teaching? What is the goal of my instruction? And he says, the goal is love. The goal is a body of believers who love. They love from a pure heart, not with ulterior motives. And he, had, he, he, he rebukes those who are, who are preaching because they believe it's a way to material gain, Paul rebukes in, in 1 Timothy. Paul says that some... Some are teaching, and they believe it's a way to material gain. But no, 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 I want you to teach to love and love from a pure heart with pure motives. We want, the goal is people who love from a pure heart and people who love from a good conscience, knowing that my conscience is clear. Now, I don't think any of us could say our conscience has always been clear. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I'm sure many of us would probably could say well, our conscience is not currently clear because we lost our temper last week or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. But the goal of true teaching, true doctrine that Paul wants Timothy to teach, the goal is people who love from a good conscience. Now, we've all done things in the past, all of us. And so we all can think of things in the past that we regret and we wish we would have never done. But as those who follow Christ faithfully from a pure heart, we should be able to stand today and say, even though I don't have a clear conscience about my past, I do have a good clear conscience about my present. That I have turned from those things, I have stopped doing those things, and I am searching after and running after God with a pure heart. And by my pure heart of love for God has caused me to change how I live. And because it's caused me to change how I live, I do lay down at night with a clear conscience. Knowing that I am not currently wronging anyone, that I'm not currently hurting people, that I'm not currently seeking after greed and causing me to lie to people and do things. Sound teaching should lead to a people that love from a pure heart and a good conscience and who love from a sincere faith. 
the question you have to ask yourself at some point in your life, and, and, and I'm looking around prayerfully, everyone here has asked this question of themselves long in the past. But you have to ask yourself the question, why do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Why do I call myself a Christian? Why do I believe that this is true? Because if you believe for the wrong reason, I believe because that's what's expected of me. That's, that doesn't work. I believe because that's the way I was raised. And I've never really given it any second thought. Well, that's a pretty weak foundation. It doesn't take but one or two hard things to hit you in life to knock you right off of that. I believe because of X, Y, Z. See, Paul had a sincere faith. Timothy had a sincere faith. They believed and you could not shake their belief. You could not say things, and I'll just give one example. Um, you know, I hear this was something we talked about recently. I think it was in our discipleship group, but yeah, it was in our discipleship group. Um, things that people might say around Christmas time that don't necessarily believe, like, doesn't the word virgin, doesn't really just mean a young woman? Does it really mean virgin? If that kind of thing shakes your faith, oh, is that true? Is that, is it, was she not a virgin? If that kind of thing shakes your faith, then that's a red flag that you need to, to, to build a strong foundation. Ask yourselves these questions. Because it's true, the word that was prophesied that a virgin would give birth to a son back in Isaiah could refer to a young woman and, and could just be translated young woman instead of virgin. But what kind of sign is that? What kind of miracle is that that we're prophesying about? A young woman will give birth to a son. That's not a miracle. But then when you read the New Testament accounts, when you read that Mary, who had not had sexual relations with a man, the gospel says, she had not. And she asked the angel Gabriel, how can this be that I'm going to have a child when I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel responded that the, the son that you will bear will be, will be given to you from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit himself will overshadow you and that your son will be called the son of God. God with us, Emmanuel. When you read the gospel, when you read the New Testament account, there's no way you could interpret that any other way as virgin. It, you can't. And so my question is, how do you build a strong, sincere faith? You build it through the study of true teachings. And I don't want anybody to be misled. I use, I'm using the word doctrine a lot. And Paul uses the word doctrine, depending on your translation. Sometimes your translation may say doctrine. Sometimes it may say teaching. Doctrine is just teaching. Sound doctrine is just sound teachings. It's just the sound teachings of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is instructing Timothy to do is to refute false teachings and to teach sound teachings about God. And through teaching sound teachings, you will have a people who love God and love others from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith.
And so I'm, I would go so far as to say that that is the type of people who are going to make the greatest impact in our world today. What kind of Christians are going to make the greatest impact in our world today? What kind of Christian do we need to be to have the greatest impact on the people around us? We need to be people who love, who love others, who love God from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. That's the type of person that is going to have the greatest impact for God in this world today. And so at the beginning of my sermon, I'm going to ask you, are you that type of follower? Are you that type of Christian? Are you that type of person that you can say that I love God and I love others from a pure heart, not from a selfish reasons, from a good conscience that I'm not living a double life, and from a sincere faith because I am convinced and I know why I believe what I believe. That's the type of person that Christ has called us to be. He went on. <clears throat> I want to I give you a phrase that he's told the Corinthians. This is a phrase that I mentioned a few weeks ago, and I, and I want you to, to grab a hold of it and grab a hold of what it means. When Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, he said this, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, now, the Corinthian church was split. Some were saying, I follow Apollo. Some were saying, I follow Paul. There was a rift between who, who, who they wanted, kind of as, as people do today. They say, I like this preacher or I like that preacher. That's the kind of the same thing that he was, he was having to deal with. So that, he said, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying. Well, that right there says that there was a saying. Paul is saying that in his day, there was a saying. And the saying was, Nothing beyond what is written. That was a saying that was common in Paul's day. Nothing beyond what is written. And he said, I want you to learn the meaning of that. And we need to learn the meaning of that. Nothing beyond what is written. When you look to a, a, a preacher or a pastor or a speaker or whatever, are they teaching what is written or are they teaching stuff that is beyond what is written, that's not in what's written, that can't be found in here? Because we know a lot of people who have led a lot of people astray, who have made up all kinds of things that are not found in here. And Paul is saying, no, that is a phrase that we say, and that's a phrase that I want you to grab a hold of and grasp onto, nothing beyond what is written. We are to place our faith in nothing beyond what is written. We're to place our confidence in nothing beyond what is written. We're to place our greatest allegiance to nothing beyond what is written. We're to take pride in nothing beyond what is written. We're to boast about nothing beyond what is written. We're to give all of our life to nothing beyond what is written. This right here, the Word of God, should be what we base and give our lives to and nothing beyond this. That was a saying that was common in Paul's day, and I believe it should be a saying that we make common again in ours. Nothing beyond what is written.
Paul told Timothy that one of his main responsibilities was to guard true doctrine and refute and correct false doctrine because the consequences are grave. False doctrine can have eternal consequences over people's souls. And Paul said that false doctrines promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. And we already read that. <clears throat> faith is the means that God has chosen to give us the choice of accepting him or rejecting him. And he did not choose a plan of salvation that operates by works. He chose a plan of salvation that operates by faith. He said that the goal of our instruction or the goal of our doctrine is love. To love from a pure heart, love from a good conscience, and love from a sincere faith. Paul goes on to warn about those who turn away from sound doctrine because of their own sinful desires. And I want you to pay attention because this is all of us. You say, well, I may not find myself in that list, but the list is not all-encompassing. This is all of us. He said, some have departed from these, meaning the sound teachings. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irre irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. We are entrusted with that gospel, all of us. We are entrusted with the same message that he was entrusted with. Paul says that in pursuing our own desires that God has declared sinful, we turn away from sound teaching. We abandon what God has said to be true, and we declare what we believe to be true instead, and we declare God to be wrong. And anyone who follows him is wrong as well. But Paul was not shaken by what people thought about him. Paul was not shaken by the many, many, many people who abused and tried to kill him for what he was teaching. He knew that God was good and loving and merciful. And he pressed on in sharing that good news with everyone. He wanted to hear it. Whether, whoever, he, he went on to share it with everyone who wanted to hear it or not in order that they might be saved. Starting in verse 12, he said, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer. And Paul's saying, this is who I was. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us another saying. He says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Paul just listed what happens to us when we pursue our own selfish desires, when we pursue our own things that we think are okay, but God says is not? And he said, I used to be one of those. 
And that's how I can love someone from a pure heart and a desire because I know that the same God who had mercy on me came into this world as a child in order to save sinners like me. That's why Christ came. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because we all are sinners. And Christ came to save sinners. And he said, and I am the worst of them. And that is the attitude that every one of us should have. Now, we can't say that what God has said is sin. We can't say it's not sin because the people around us disagree. We can't say it's not sin because we're afraid of the consequences that are going to come our way, that people are going to hate us and judge us and call us names. We can't start teaching false teachings because we're afraid of the consequences. Instead, we must remain true to the true teachings of Christ that are given to us here and nothing beyond what is here. But we must do it from an attitude that every person that I am telling that they are sinful and they need a Savior, I must keep the attitude that I am worse than them. That I have sinned worse. That I don't deserve any more of God's mercy and grace than anyone else. We must remain humble and we must have a pure heart of love when sharing that message. Because at this time of year, at Christmas, guess what? It's getting to the point, it's been at the point for a while, where people are afraid to say Merry Christmas. People are afraid to say Merry Christmas because it has the name of Christ. And now it's Happy Holidays. I don't buy a card that says Happy Holidays. <laughs> it's because we're afraid. We're afraid of the consequences of what people will do and what people will say if we teach sound doctrine instead of giving up and not teaching sound doctrine. But Paul said we can't do that. Because I know that any sin that I call someone else, I know that I'm worse than they. And I know that I've been given mercy and forgiveness by God. And they can too. If they would just humble themselves before God, they can receive mercy and forgiveness just like me. And I know that it's God's desire that everyone be saved. Because it sa he said Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. That's what Christmas is all about. The desperate desire for God to save all people. <clears throat> he said, but I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. He goes on to talk about the attitude that we should have. He said that we should try to live peaceably in the world, to pray for our government leaders, to love everyone, and to align our hearts with God's heart. 
So a few sentences later, he said, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, he said, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And this is what we are to do as a church. We are to pray, petition, and intercede, and give thanks for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So how many people does God want to be saved? Everyone. How many people does he want to know to come to the, to the truth, the sound teachings? Everyone. God wants everyone to be saved, and that's why it's so important to guard the teachings of God, the true doctrine. He commanded Timothy again because it was so important. He said, um, well, let me finish. For there, he said in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. He went on to say a little bit later, he said, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But, how many of you heard this? But godliness with contentment, not contemptment, but contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So guarding the doctrine is one of the primary responsibilities of an elder or a pastor because it is true doctrine that results in a church body made up of people who love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith that will honor God the most. If I were to stand up here and preach day after day that... Uh, the reason that you should come to faith and, and, and place your faith in God is because he will bless your life and he will make your life better and he will pull you out of the, the, the hardships that have come your way and he will give you health beyond whatever, whatever situation you're in and, and he will cure you of your cancer and he will do all these things. If I were to sit up here day after day after day and make promise after promise after promise that coming to faith in God and placing your faith in God will make, give you the things you want, I will not create a church full of people who love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That is why we must cling to and not avoid the passages of Scripture that we don't like. I'll be the first to admit, there are passages of Scripture I do not like standing up here and saying. And there are lots of passages of Scripture that you do not like sitting in those pews and hearing. And if we're honest, we'll all say that. But to teach true, sound doctrine, we can't skip those. We can't avoid those. 
just so that everybody feels better. Because you won't. You won't have peace in your life. The only thing that gives you true peace in your life at night, when you have cancer, when you're laying in your sick bed, when your world is collapsing around you, the only thing that gives you true peace is knowing the truth. That God has something far better for us in the world to come. That he will put an end to all of this. And he's not making us stay here forever. <laughs> I feel bad for Adam and Eve and, and all the first people who lived on earth. They lived 900 years. I do not want to be here 900 years. I'm going to tell you. I do not. I'll say it again. I do not want to be here another 900 years. I want to spend as little time here as I need to be able to reach the most people that I can and share the love of Christ with the most people I can and then be relieved of this fallen, broken, sinful, painful planet, knowing that I have an eternity with my Father with no more of this. I don't want to be here another 900 years. But if we want to create a people who can have peace in their hearts when life is crumbling, we must preach the true doctrine. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he said this, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. And this is, like I said, this was instruction to a pastor and an elder on how to, how to talk to those who opposed him. But I believe this is, just, this is true for all Christians. Those who, opponents, opponents, who are opponents? People who oppose you. People who are set against what you believe. People who sharply disagree with you and oppose you. This is how God said we are to communicate with them when we're talking with the, that message they disagree with. We are not to quarrel, we're not to argue, we're not to bicker and fight, but we must be gentle. We must be gentle in speech and in action. We must be able to teach. You can't teach if you don't know what you're talking about. So if somebody comes to you, which I don't say everybody should be an expert in everything, you can't. I'm not. Nobody is. But if your opponent, someone you care about, loves you, comes to you and says, I have this problem with your faith, you are to make a sincere attempt of trying to understand that problem to help instruct them, to teach them about it. And we must be patient. This is the one that I think we find, I don't know, quarreling, controlling our Controlling our temper when people start arguing and bickering and calling you names. and uh, Controlling your temper is very hard to do. But being patient is very hard to do when you are talking with an opponent. I'm not talking about when you're talking with your best friend or with your spouse. When you're talking with an opponent. You are to instruct your opponents with gentleness. Twice he said gentle. Twice he said we must be gentle. Perhaps, and here's, here's what's so important. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Here's the thing. When Paul looked at someone, a person who opposed him, 
he was able to show patience and gentleness when talking with them because he didn't look at them as his enemy. He looked at Satan as his enemy, and he looked at them as someone who was held captive in bondage by his enemy. And so when Paul looked at someone who opposed him, he looked at them as someone who he desired to set free from an enemy who was holding them captive. And that's why he said, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness. Our enemy is not our opponents. Our opponents have been deceived. Our opponents have been tricked. Our opponents believe a lie. And the only way we can show them the truth is by sticking to this and not giving up on it. And who of us doesn't know someone that we love that we would desperately love to see them released from being held captive by the enemy and to see them have peace and joy and love and a future? This is the attitude we must have with those who oppose us with those who disagree with what we believe and hold dear, with those who hate us and can't tolerate us, this is how we are to communicate the gospel with them. And we'll finish by looking at one more thing Paul told Timothy. He said, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, he said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And all this means is preach the true word of God when you're not going to face any consequences for it and when you're going to face immediate consequences for it. When people want to hear what you have to say and when people don't want to hear what you have to say. He said, preach the word of God all the time. And he went on to say, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul understood very clearly and was very concerned with the church being led astray, not only by the desire of the pastor who was in the ministry for the wrong reason, but also by the church body itself, Jesus said many things that we don't want to hear. Jesus said a lot of things we don't want to hear. But if you're honest, aren't we glad he said them anyways? <clears throat> he told us that we can't live any way we want to live. We can't. He told us that we don't get to declare what's right and what's wrong. Only he does. He told us that we must turn from sin and change how we live, and we didn't like that. But aren't we glad he came and said those things anyways? Even though we would have rather lived however we wanted, aren't we glad he came and told us we can't? Because by coming, 
he died. And by dying, he rose again. And by doing that for us, we can live forever with him with no pain, no sorrow, no heartache ever again. And without him coming and dying for us, we would be without hope forever. So even though there are many who don't want to hear the name of Christ this Christmas and will instead opt to say things like happy holidays and make Christmas all about Santa and giving gifts to others, we know the greatest gift of all was from God who gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm glad he came and said things that make me uncomfortable because the alternative was for him to not come at all. He was perfect and he wasn't going to lie and he wasn't going to fib and he wasn't going to avoid telling the truth. And so even though we don't get to live however we want and do anything we feel like doing, I'm so glad because Christ came and he showed us what perfect love is. He humbled himself to serve us, which should have never happened. He died for us to show us that we must lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. He showed us how to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And that is what we must learn to do, to love God and love others from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And we must love him no matter the consequences. We must preach the truth in season and out of season. We must tell the truth when it goes our way and when it doesn't go our way. And we must be a church that has a pastor that stands up here and will preach the word and not avoid it, which I find hard to do, but I try my best. And we also must be a church full of the body of Christ and members who will not look for a pastor who is just going to tell us what we want to hear to make us feel good. Because I'm only going to be here for only God knows how long. And after me, the church will continue until Christ comes back. We must be a church who has existed for over 100 years. We must always exist as a church who loves others from pure hearts, from good consciences, from sincere faiths, who holds this above all else and wants this and nothing beyond what is written. If you would please stand and join us for our last song. Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, it's our desire, it is our earnest desire to love you and to love others from a pure heart from a good conscience and from a sincere faith. Father, we know it's your desire because it's over and over and over and over throughout the scriptures that it's your desire to seek and to save all who are lost, that it is your desire that no one would perish but that all would come to repentance and that you, as the God of the universe, left your throne humbled yourself by becoming a man, served us, and laid your life down for us, 
And that was a huge price to pay. The God of the universe should not have been abused, beaten, and killed by his creatures. That was a humongous price to pay. But you were willing to do it for us. And the only reason that the scripture gives is because of you, your great love for us. That you so loved us that you sent your only son. And so, Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we ask you to give us that same love. That we would love all others. Those who oppose us and stand against us. That we would love them the way that you love them. And that we would view them not as our enemies, but as those who are held captive and have been deceived by our actual enemy, Satan. And so, Father, it is our desire to release them and to save them through sharing the truth of your word with them. That we have all sinned, and because of our sin, we are separated from God and do not deserve to spend eternity with him. But because of his great love for us, that he made a way by sacrificing his own perfect son in order to forgive us for our sins. And he did it because of his great love for us. And that he desires us to turn from sin and place our faith and trust wholly in his son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we must take that message to those who are lost, who are being sought out by you, and who are being held captive by the enemy, that they may be released, that they would work for your kingdom, and that we would all spend eternity together in heaven the way you intended us to be. Happy, rejoicing, loving each other, laughing, with no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, and no death ever again. We thank you for being so good, God. We thank you for being such a good, good Father. We love you, Father. Please help us stay focused on the true meaning of Christmas this season. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.